Amen. Isn't God good? Amen. Amen. So, you know, we all came in here this morning carrying different things. Maybe you came in with a a burden on your heart for something going on in life. Maybe you've had a a hit recently and you're you're carrying that load. Maybe you're stressed because of busyness going on. Maybe you came in joyful this morning. Things are going well for you and you're just feeling God's presence. Well, God is here and God is big enough to take whatever that is. He can take your pain, uh, the sin that you've been struggling with. He can take that and help you through that. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned for your sin but God will come alongside us and help us through that sin to get over that sin, to grow in him. God is good and God is big and God is here. So as I pray, as we get into this, just take a minute, whatever it is you need to give to him, just give it to him right now. He is here among us. God, thank you that you're not surprised uh, by the things we need to give to you. Thank you that you have your hands open saying, just give me your loads and I'll carry them. Uh, Thank you that our sin doesn't scare you off, uh, that we're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. But God, I do pray that, that those of us in the room, maybe right now we are heavy because of sin, that Holy Spirit, you would come, you would help us, help us love you more, help us abide in you more so that you in us will will conquer these habits we have, these addictions, these sins, so we can be more like you. We can bring glory to you because that's why we exist. God, I pray for those of us in here that need comfort, that Holy Spirit, you would right now supernaturally comfort. God, that that whatever the, the issue is, finances, relationships, whatever it is, that you would give comfort. As we've just been singing, you've never failed yet. You can handle it. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to you. You see what's going on 50 galaxies away. You can handle it. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I had a time machine, I like thinking of time travel, great books. If I had a time machine and you could take a trip back 10 years we gave you a thousand bucks. Ten years, you could invest that thousand dollars. Where would you invest that money? So I'm talking. It's 2019. Go back to 2009. Take your thousand dollars, invest it in something, and then hop back in the time machine. Come back here. What would you invest in? Netflix. Actually, Bitcoin. No, Bitcoin. Bad idea. I've invested in Bitcoin. Somebody gave me one. So. It hasn't done much recently. If I gave you $1,000, you invested it 10 years ago in Disney, it'd be worth $6,300 today. Netflix, somebody knows this, would be worth $60,000 today. In 10 years, $1,000 would have turned into $60,000. Apple, $1,000 would be worth $10,000 now. Transocean, that was that oil company that had a spill. If you put $1,000 into them 10 years ago, it'd be worth 100 now. <laughs> GE, not to slam any of those that work for GE in the room, $1,000 would be worth today 1012 So, So think about that. If you could go back in time, where would you invest that money? Netflix. <laughs> I mean, there's some other decent ones in there. But also, where would you not invest your money? Transocean? GE? Now, 
let's uh, take a minute. Uh, hindsight's 2020. We don't have a time machine. But God, who is God of all, who is beyond time, he created time. He's not in time. He sees all. He knows our past. He knows our future. He owns everything. This is our series we've been going through. He owns everything. But some of what is his, he has given, he has entrusted to his people. Think about this idea of investment from his standpoint. Where would he invest his goods among his people to get the return that he would want? Now, we're talking stocks and things, and we're looking for a financial return. But now think about God who owns everything, who needs nothing. What kind of a return is he looking for with his stuff that he's entrusted to us? That's what we're looking at in these four-week series. This is our last week in our series from two through four. And the first week we looked at from, meaning everything comes from God. It was the principle of provision, that God is the provider of everything. Uh, what I appreciated about that week was kind of the idea that God provides everything because he owns everything. And sometimes we can get the idea that, well, at least this piece is mine. You know, this house is mine, this car is mine, you know, my money is, whatever it is, this, this part is mine, my skills are mine, because I've worked hard. I've worked harder than other people, so I deserve more. Really, as we looked at that first week of provision, God provides everything, not just our financial blessings, our provision, but he provided your, your brain, he provided your body, all these things he gave to you. It's kind of like somebody tall being proud of themselves for being tall. Well, God just made you tall. You know, whatever you're good at, God made you that way. He has provided that. And so all of that also belongs to him. If you have children, your children aren't yours. They belong to God. And so first week, everything comes from God. If you get that into your head, life is so much easier. There's so much peace that comes from knowing God is the provider of everything. And that was the first week. The second week was two that God who owns everything has entrusted some of what is his to you and to me. The principle of that week was stewardship, that we are stewards. Again, great freedom in knowing this, that everything that I have is ultimately God's. He's just entrusting some of it to me. And that's where this idea of investment comes in. We looked at the, the parable there uh, of the, the, the manager who went on a trip, the owner, and he took some of his servants and he gave some of his stuff to them and said, make it grow, basically, and when I come back, we're going to settle accounts. But when he came back and they settled accounts, it still all belonged to the owner, to the master. But he just gave some back to them and entrusted them with even more. So that was the second week, stewardship. Last week, we looked at the idea of generosity. Everything comes from God. Some of it goes to his people and some, a portion of what he has entrusted to you and me, his people, he has chosen for us to be generous with to carry out his mission. Generosity, a portion of what he has given to you is to be given back to him. Now, we looked in Malachi where it talked about a tithe, of 10%, and we recognize we're not under law. There is no number on it, but there is a number for you. We're called to do it intentionally. We're called to do it, you know, plan. So whatever the percentage would be, a portion of what God gives you is to be given back to him, to be invested in, in the work that he is doing. And again, it's proportionate. It's not the same for everybody. This is a between you and God thing. Our, our real application last week was, do you have a plan? If not, make a plan. Have a conversation with your spouse, with God. You know, what does God want to do with us? Again, you know, one person can't really judge another person for the amount they give. That's all between us and God. But a portion... And traditionally, you look through scripture, it's always the first and the best. 
You know, Abel did it. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed Abel because Abel's gift to God was acceptable and his wasn't. You know, Abel did it. Uh, Abraham, he gave a tenth of all that was his back to God. Jacob did the same thing all throughout Scripture. And then you see in the New Testament as well, give proportionately. So that was the idea of generosity from, to, through, and then for. That's this week, for. God works through his people for some reason, he's chosen, that's, we're plan A and there is no plan B. He works through his people for the good of others. So why does God entrust us with some of his stuff that we can be generous with? It's for others. It's for the world. So the principle this week is mission. This is the week that excites me the most because being a, a Jesus follower, we're not called just to be Christians. We're not called just to go to church. We actually get to partner with him in changing the world. We get to partner with him in seeing lost people saved, marriages healed, uh, kids brought to life. We, we get to see this. We get to partner with this, not just in, in stuff and finances, but in our time, in our talents. Again, God works through his people. Find anybody that's been saved ever in their life. And the reason is because somebody shared the gospel with them. There are those places overseas, there's places where the, the gospel is, is sparse, uh, Muslim countries, and I've heard these stories of, of a Muslim having a dream, and in the dream, Jesus appears to him and speaks to him, but every time I've heard those stories, and I've heard them close to firsthand, so I believe they're true, but every time in the dream, they're pointed to a Christian. And so this, this Muslim or this other person, they find a believer, a missionary, somebody who then explains the gospel to him. God works through his people not around them, but it's for the good of others. And that's what we're looking at this week. That some of what God has given us is to be generously given back, but now we get to see why. We get to see the for. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. If you need your table of contents, it's in the front of your Bible, and that's a great place to look. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you, or under the seat in front of you. But here, we're looking at 2 Corinthians, and here's the context. This is a church uh, that is doing okay. You know, financially, Corinth was a, a, a bustling city. Uh, they had resources. And Paul, who was the church planter that planted that church, and he was traveling around planting other churches, Paul had told them, the church in Jerusalem is not doing well. Uh, it's rough. They're under persecution. Basically, they're, they're down and out. No, the mission is still going in Jerusalem, but they're struggling. And he said, so I'm going to come. With you and the other churches, I'm making a circuit as I'm going around preaching and teaching, and I'm going to take up a collection to take back to Jerusalem. So he had told them he was going to do it. They made some promises, you know, we're going to give such and such amount, we'll provide this. And he's writing in 2 Corinthians saying, hey, I'm on my way, so remember what you promised, it's time to give it. And he talks about in these chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he's talking a lot about giving, he calls it the grace, by this grace, and it's the grace of, of giving. And so he's coming to take this collection, to take it down, to give to the church in Jerusalem. And as we look at this, we're going to see four points about how God fuels his mission. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is, I would argue, one of the best passages in the New Testament about generosity, about giving, of how to do it, the heart to do it, and what God does with it, what the results are. So let's look at this. As he begins in verse 6, he's, I love the way Paul writes, the point is this, I'm telling you to give, I'm telling you to plan, here's the point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he goes on in verse 10. We'll skip down because he's using this, this same parable. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of righteousness. So here's the, here's the picture he's giving of a, a sower. So here we have this seed. You know, this happens to be rice because that's what they had. But in context here, it's, it's looking at, at wheat. So you have, you have this wheat or this rice, and, and this is seed. And seed can do two things. You can eat it, you know, you could turn it into bread or here this rice, we could cook it and we could eat it. Or you could take the seed and you could put it back in the, the field and have it grow and produce more the next year. Uh, it's kind of the same thing with a potato. You know, you grow a potato, you could eat the potato, or you could put it in a jar and it grows a little roots and then go put that in the ground and that turns into lots of other potatoes. You should go do that, lots of fun. But the, the picture is he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Have you ever gardened? And part of your gardening is you, 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 know, you furrow it and you, you do, and you put a little hole and you drop one seed in, cover it up, one other little hole. It takes forever. Carrots is one of those. I used to do that. And then it's like I just, and just sprinkle all the carrots because they're so small. The picture is he who sows sparingly, you, you do it that way, you're going to get a little bit but just a little bit, or if you sow bountifully, here's the picture of somebody with a bag of seed walking through the field, just grabbing it and just flinging it, just throwing, you know, it's go, I'm just throwing it out there. You do it that way, what's going to happen in the spring or in the fall, depending on what you're growing, you're going to get a big harvest. So the more you're throwing out, the greater the harvest. That's the picture. Now, we are talking about financial and, and, and wealth. We're talking about money, but the harvest is not money. The, the harvest is not more stuff. So the idea isn't that God is a good investment and you give to him and he'll give a lot to you so you'll become rich. That's not the point at all. The harvest is something else. But here's the picture that he has going through is throwing it out. But it says whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Here's what's kind of cool. That word bountifully, 
is actually the word blessings. As they translated it here, they kind of did some work for us to, to say bountifully, but the word is blessings. So he who sows sparingly will also sow blessings sparingly. He who sows, you know, plentifully, whatever the word is, bountifully, he who throws it out, uh, sows bountifully blessings, will also reap more blessings. That's the picture, is blessings. Blessings for you, blessings for the church, blessings for those who are not in the church yet, blessings for other believers. But that's the idea, is, is blessings. But then he gives some instruction. So here's, here's the proverb, you know, the picture of sowing. And here's some instruction on giving. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So that goes back to last week. You plan on it. You don't come to church and you hear a message about giving and you feel guilty, so you give. That's not it. You don't hear a, you know, some sad story about something going on. And you're like, oh, my heart is torn, and so you give to it. If you've planned for that, yes, but it's you plan to give. You must decide in your heart. Again, not reluctantly. It's not like this. I feel guilty or under compulsion. Somebody's twisting your shoulder. Hey, we need your money because, you know, look at all these kids. You know, there's none of this guilt stuff. It's freely, not reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then we see the results. God's response, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's response, as, as we are good with the grace he's given us, is he is gracious back. So this is in your notes, if you're a note taker. We are instructed through scripture to give generously, sacrificially, freely, and joyfully in response to God's inexpressible gift of life through his son. Before we continue, I want to skip to the end. You leave that note up there. But verse 15, Paul ends this little section by saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It begins with God, it ends with God. What is our motivation? So we see some of the how-to but what's the motivation? God's inexpressible gift. Everything in the Christian life begins with God. We are forgiving people. Why? Because God forgave us. If I'm holding a grudge against somebody, there's a problem in my heart because guess what? I have sinned greatly against God and he holds no grudges toward me because God is forgiving. He's forgiven me. I am forgiving. In the same way, because God is generous with me, I am then generous to others. I am then generous with what he's given me. And what is this inexpressible gift? This is Jesus Christ. I mean, how beautiful. All the songs we were singing before just were stirring my heart in this area. God has given us everything. Jesus came. Jesus, God in flesh, died on the cross for our sins. You and I, we know it. We deserve death and hell, but we're not going to get what we deserve because Jesus took it. I mean, that picture of Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. And all the sin ever committed, all of yours, all of mine, all of history was poured on him. And he took it and he died in darkness. Uh, the earth shook. There was an earthquake. The, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. I mean, this was a big deal. Darkness covered the land. He was buried three days later. He rose from the dead, giving us salvation. 
This morning, I got to talk to somebody who's going to be baptized in a few weeks, and we just talked about this idea of how God sent his son to die, to rise from the dead. And I asked the question, how many sins is God going to bring up later? You know, when you die and you're before him or he returns, how many sins is he going to bring up? The answer is none. There are two judgments later, one for non-believers for sin, one for believers for rewards. We are, we, there will be books open of the things we did, but God's not going to bring up all your sin. We are forgiven. That is this indescribable gift. I'm trying to describe the indescribable, as Paul said. We can't even describe how great God's gift is. That's our motivation. Because our heart then belongs to him. We're stirred. We just can't help but be generous because of what God has done, because of what he has given us. Now, here's our first principle. I told you we're going to look at four principles. Here's the first one. God gives to us so that he may give through us. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God gives to us so that he can give through us. That's the picture. It comes back to this seed again. He gives us this seed and we have a choice. We could just eat it all, but that's some of it, you see here, some is for food. And we see that some of what God has given you, he wants you to enjoy. That's really cool, too. God gives us all things to enjoy. We're not supposed to just live in a hut in, in, in you know, the middle of the desert out there and save every penny and give it all away. Maybe you're called to that. Some people are, I believe. But we're also called to enjoy what he's given. So some of this we get to eat. Some of this maybe we get to sell and then go buy steak because we're sick of bread. But, but some of this we get to enjoy. Some of this we sow. Some of this we cast back out. We sow it into his kingdom for what he would do. That's the picture that he's given here. He has given to us that he may give through us. Again, God works through his people, not around him. What a privilege. What a privilege. It is so exciting to be part of a church with y'all. <laughs> we have a cool church, and I'm excited about everybody that God has brought us because we have all these great people wanting to pour out to God that we could go do trash in Indian Hills and people like doing that. That's kind of cool. But God wants to serve through us. And this has always been the way God does it through his people. Psalm 67, 7, the psalmist says, God blesses us that the ends of the earth may fear him. God blesses us that the ends of the earth may fear him. Now, this was in the Old Testament. This was under law. This is when they had the temple. Why was God blessing his people? God would bless his people so that he would make himself known to the rest of the world. That was, that's what the psalmist writes, that the rest of the earth may fear him. Why does God bless us? So that others may learn to fear him. And this isn't a, a tremble in fear, although it starts there often, but it's a fear, it's a reverence, it's you are God of my life. He blesses us so that the ends of the earth may fear him. Ephesians 4, 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Look at that. It, why should we go work hard? We should go work so we have something to share. So that was the first one. God gives to us so he may give through us. But here's the second reason. God gives to us so that lives may be changed. 
we, we talked about it some last week. Uh, we, we said, raise your hand if you've been blessed by the ministry at Common Ground. Lives are changed here, and it's possible because people give. And yeah, some of that goes to keep the lights on and pay the rent, which is a booger. I hate that, but we got to do it. But, but some of it goes to you know, going out as well, things in Indian Hills, the Africa trip that we went on that provided wells for those who needed water. God gives us, God gives to us so that lives may be changed. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, remember, this service is they're taking a collection to take it to the poor saints in Jerusalem, the poor suffering saints. So by that service, verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We're going to talk about that second part. But first, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is supplying the needs of the saints. And the idea here is that it is fully supplying the needs of the saints. So these people who are suffering and persecuted are being fully provided for by other believers. That is really cool. We, God gives to us so that others may be blessed, so that others may have food. Maybe you've experienced this at times in your life where you just had that moment where you were in need and God sent somebody. God provided somehow. I remember Callie and I early on, we were just married. Yeah, things kind of shook our world a little bit and we had to change and, and we were living in Russia and we had no money and we had to come back. And somebody that was brand new to the church that, that we were going to just came and said, for some reason, God asked us to give you this. They gave us 500 bucks. For us, I mean, that was a fortune, you know, but for, that's what we needed. We, God blessed us through them. Now, if they would have just heard that from God and went, no, we need it. We wanted, you know, we would have missed out on that blessing. They would have missed out on the blessing because God gives to us that lives may be changed. He wants to help others. Again, it's not just physical, but it's spiritual. But this is kind of the way God works, isn't it? This is the way Jesus often worked. When Jesus went around, what did he do? He met a physical need and then he met their spiritual need. He would heal he would provide wine. He, he would do some things. He would provide, and then he would bring in the spiritual aspect to give them life. We need to bring both. You know, the church over the last decades at times has drifted toward the idea of, of social good, of giving, and then just, you know, hope it works out. Hope that brings them to God. We need to do both. Yes, serving a need provides the opportunity then to share Christ. Indian Hills, we go down there, we, we collect trash, we help. That is helping meet a physical need. But why? Not just to help them, although that's good, and that should be enough for us as Jesus followers, but so that some of them may go, why? And we get to go, here's why, because Jesus loves us and we want to serve you. God has given us everything and we're here to serve you. And maybe some of those might come here and find a deeper relationship with Christ. Has anybody here ever come because they met us at the trash? That's right. <laughs> we have people here that came through and they saw our common ground shirts and now they're here and they're part of our body, a valuable part of who we are. This is how God works. Our generosity improves lives both physically and spiritually. Both physically and spiritually. But what happened? Look at these verses. When, when this gift was collected and it was being taken to Jerusalem, what happened? Not only their physical needs were met, but something else happened. Verse 13. 
or starting in verse 12. It not only is supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This physical provision often leads to spiritual transformation. And they are thanking God for what they're receiving. Here's point three. God gives to us so that he may be worshipped. God gives to us so that he may be worshipped. Here's what excites me about all of this. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are brought into a church, a fellowship, a community, uh, and someday he's going to come back. But, but why? What's our purpose for existing? It's to worship God. Our, our purpose isn't to do religious activity. Our purpose is to worship God. You know, uh, what, is the, what was the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are made for relationship with God, to love him, to worship. I mean, humans were made to worship. And if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. Haven't you experienced that? Those periods in your life where you weren't worshiping God, what were you worshiping? Often it could be a sports team. It could be a certain sin. There's a lot of things we can, but we were made to worship God. As a fish was made to swim and a bird was made to fly, we are made to worship God. That's the ultimate goal of all this that we're doing. Not just that we would worship, but that others would worship. That those at the end of the earth may fear him. We want to help others worship God. Sometimes in the church, we can skip over this. We worship and we're just all about the mission. But that's what's exciting, I believe, about Common Ground is when we come together, God meets with us. We get to actually worship. When we're singing, there's no other purpose than we're just, we're, we're giving it to him right now with your hearts, listening to what God is saying through his word. This is worship. We're made for this, but it doesn't end here. And here's what I think we can draw out of this passage is a lot of times a church can be inward focused. And this is a danger for us as we grow and as we build relationships and, and love one another, we can become focused on ourselves. One of our values, because we know this is a, a tendency, is kingdom over castle, is sending capacity, not seating capacity. A church often can, can have a bunch of great givers and they can build this great budget and they just keep doing their thing. They get new chairs. They, you know, again, and that's not bad. Churches need to do those things. But we can become focused on us rather than on the mission. The whole reason we're together, the whole reason God hasn't raptured us yet, the reason God has given you some things that to, to steward for him and give some of it back is so that others may worship God also, that others may fall in love with him, learn what Jesus did for them, and worship. Here's a quote from, from John Piper, and I've quoted it before. I like this. It says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Now, just so you know, he's not saying we shouldn't do missions. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we don't worship well, and so we have to do missions. What he's saying is the ultimate goal is worship. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over... And the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. So our goal is to worship God ourselves, and part of the way we worship is actually giving, but it's to help others worship as well. And so we do this mission, I mean, the primary 
mission of the church, why we're still here, is to bring others into a love relationship with God to be saved, to worship Him. And He fuels His mission through the generosity of His people. Last point, God gives to us so that ultimately He gets the glory. God gives to us so that ultimately He gets the glory. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, this is the the people in Jerusalem, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So these people are receiving what God is, and they're glorifying God. Maybe this has happened to you. You've received something from somebody and you thank them, but really ultimately you turn around and you thank God. Because God is the one that provided for them. God is the one that stirred them to help you. Maybe it was through a church that has helped you. God stirred the, God gets the glory. God owns it all. God provides it all. God gets the glory. God gives us so that ultimately he gets all the glory. And this runs right along with the idea of worship. In the end, when we stand before the throne, when we fall on our faces and we cast anything that we get, you know, because we will have rewards. The Bible talks about crowns and jewels. We're just going to cast that all back at his feet. He gets all the glory. Any good deed I ever do, he gets the glory because I know me. If I do anything good, he gets the glory because it's him working through me. Left to myself, I'm going to go do my own thing. God gets the glory. Beautiful. Now, we're talking a lot about finances, stuff, money, but it's also our time. It's also our talents. So we see here all these principles of giving, but there's one other thing that we need to focus on because there's three kinds of givers. We can say there's three kinds of givers. There are the, uh, the grudging givers. These are the, the sad givers. I'm giving, but I don't really want to. You know, it's, the, it's religion. It's, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to, and so I don't want to. It's the, you know, you walk out, oh, you write the check or whatever it is that you don't really want to give. Or there's mad givers. Those who give under compulsion. They feel guilted. Oh, that pastor preached a sermon on a whole series on generosity. Now I just, I have to because I'll feel guilty if I don't. You know, mad givers. Or cheerful givers. Cheerful givers. Go back to verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know that word cheerful? The uh, Greek word, we get another word out of it. Hilarious. You know, I don't speak Greek real well, but it's hilaros or something like that. That's where we get the word hilarious. God wants us to be giving joyfully, hilariously. You know, we're we're skipping to the offering box. You know, when we see somebody in need down the street, we're just joyfully going to help provide. And if you have ever had the opportunity to give, it is a joy to give. That's what God wants. And so here's what I want us to take away. If you're giving for any other reason than a joyful, thankful response to God, don't give. It was kind of like in the Old Testament when the Jews were worshiping God, they were sacrificing, they were doing their religion and God said, stop it. I want your hearts. I don't need your stuff. I want you. God wants you. He doesn't need your stuff. Common ground doesn't need your stuff. We don't need your money. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. He'll provide, but God wants you. So if you're giving for any other reason, don't give. Or 
ask God to change your heart because we want to be giving from joyful hearts. We want to be serving from joyful hearts. It's what we were made to do. But God doesn't need our stuff. He owns it all anyway. What gives God pleasure is when we enjoy giving. Is what we en- when we enjoy giving. I came across this story that I wanted to read. This is kind of exciting. It speaks right to this. This is 1875. Maybe you've heard of uh, Hudson Taylor. He was the one who really started missions going into China. Here's this story. It says, In the spring of 1875, Hudson Taylor, the beloved founder of the China Inland Mission, was returning to London from Brighton, where he had been attending some meetings. Waiting for his train at the station, he was accosted by a Russian nobleman who had also attended the meetings and who, on learning that Mr. Taylor was going to London, suggested that they should find seats together. But I'm traveling third class, third class, said the missionary. My ticket admits me of doing the same, was the courteous reply. And they seemed to have found a carriage alone together. For presently, Count Bobrinsky took out his pocketbooks with the word, allow me to give you a trifle toward your work in China. Glancing at the banknote as he received it, Mr. Taylor felt there must be some mistake. It was no less than 50 pounds. Now again, this is 1875. That's a lot of money. It was no less than 50 pounds. He said, did you mean to give me five pounds? Mr. Taylor asked at once. Please let me return this note. It is for 50 pounds. I cannot take it back, replied the other, no less surprised. It was five pounds I meant to give. But God must have intended you to have 50 pounds. I cannot take it back. (laughs) Impressed with the incident, Mr. Taylor reached Perlin Road, the London home of the mission, to find a prayer meeting was going on. A remittance, that means a gathering of money, was about to be sent to China, and the money in hand was short by 49 pounds, 11 shillings. (laughs) Of the sum, it was felt that was going to be required to send. This deficiency was not accepted as inevitable, On the contrary, it called together those who knew of it for a special prayer. 49 pounds, 11 shillings was being asked for in simple faith. And there upon the office table, Mr. Taylor laid his precious banknote for 50 pounds. Could it have come more directly from the heavenly father's hand? Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. That's the picture. That's why we give. It's, it's God at work. We just get to partner with him. He wants to do great things. He is doing great things here in other churches in our community, in our nation. In the, God's doing great things, and we get to partner with him. That is the joy of giving in response to what he has given us. Now, as we close in worship, let's worship. <laughs> That's the ultimate point of this. Why we give why we sing why is to worship. So let's worship in thanksgiving. Again, at the beginning, whatever it is you brought in, I hope you felt some peace today. That God has relieved something in you. The Holy Spirit has touched you now. Let's worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your indescribable gift. Paul says the indescribable gift because we can't put words around what you did, Jesus. We don't even fully understand all of it. We don't know all of our own sin. We don't know, Jesus, what you went through on the cross, but we know it was horrible. The physical pain alone was horrible. But the suffering that you went through, and Father, the suffering that you went through as you watched your son take on the sin of the world, we cannot understand, but we thank you. 
we thank you. And in response, we give ourselves back to you. It only makes sense. We are all yours. Our time, our talents, our treasure, our hearts, our minds, we are yours. We are yours. Use us for your glory, please. Right here as we pray together, as we sing, be glorified. Make yourself great among us. And then use us through us. We want to see the world changed. Through us and your other many, many churches in the world, we want to see the world changed. But use us for your glory. Let us see Carson City, Gardnerville changed. The percentage of Christians here is very, very low. There is great pain. There is great addiction. You want to enter. You want to do some things there. We know you do. And you want to use us. Thank you. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.